My name is Melanie, and I am a co-founder of Hudson Hemp and the VP of Brand Development. And our focus is to demonstrate hemp as a solution to global challenges from climate change to social inequality. And along with that, we have created a brand called Treaty. And Treaty is a real embodiment of our mission and revolves around the idea that regeneration can start in the soil and extend to our spirits and our feelings and emotions. And a sister project is Hudson Carbon, and Hudson Carbon is an on-site soil lab that is dedicated to studying how regenerative agriculture affects the soil and quantifying the effects of regenerative agriculture on the environment and climate change, and ultimately creating models that can extend to other farms as a way to shift practices from conventional agriculture to regenerative organic agriculture and farming. Awesome. Do you think you could talk a little bit about which of these projects kind of came first and how it came to be? Because my exposure to this world is through Hudson Carbon, which disclaimer is a, is a client of ours. And, you know, that's been really exciting to to work with and to understand that world of carbon sequestration in the soil. But I'm interested to know what came first. Was it the potential of hemp that was exciting mm. and, and where you first went into into this world? Or was it actually starting with the soil lab? Absolutely. So the real genesis of all of this work starts on our farms, uh, Old Mud Creek Farm and Stonehouse Grain. And these farms were once farmed conventionally with a focus on monocropping corn and soy. And Old Mud Creek Farm was formerly owned by Syngenta, which is a agritech company And they were using the land to actually research their chemicals um, in the soil. And so the land was really devastated. And so when the current owner purchased the land, Abby Rockefeller, she wanted to transform the degradation into something positive and then really use that as a model for how to extend these practices to a larger scale. And so the real beginning was the farms. And then secondary to that was Hudson Carbon and actually studying the change in the soil and therefore the change in the environment through the carbon, the methane, the nitrous, and the fluctuation of all of these components as we start to integrate um, new practices onto the farm. And then within that, um, in 2017, um, when, when New York opened up its hemp program, hemp was really brought into the crop rotation. And let me also add that on our farms, uh, we focus on grain and feed production. So what makes Hudson Hemp really 
special and a real pioneer is that we brought hemp into this larger agricultural context. And what drew us to hemp so immediately was its, uh, its really restorative properties. It is a bioremediator, so it pulls heavy metals and soil contaminants from the earth and is, has been very successful in cleaning up hazardous sites. And along with that, we really saw hemp as a conduit from our regenerative farming practices to in entering industries with a crop that could regenerate industries because hemp is so multifaceted and has the capacity to really enter so many different industries and change them. And when we say that, or when I say that, I mean everything from medicine to petroleum synthetics to animal care, animal feed, animal bedding, to paper industries. So we really saw hemp first and foremost as a crop that could continue our mission to heal the soil. And then from there, as a potentiator of that mission into industries and that went beyond the farm. And so that's the sort of progression that the farm that happened here on the farm. I feel like that's so progressive of Abby Rockefeller speaking of progression. That's, I don't know. I didn't know she had that like philanthropic side. What is it like, or what was it like kind of, working with such like a oil conglomerate, like, isn't that kind of funny and full circle? Absolutely. I mean, very, very full circle. Abby is an incredible woman and has always been really dedicated to ecology and feminism and sort of the intersection between the two. One of her projects that really is exciting and also is pretty low-key is her Clevis Multrum, which is a composting toilet that is really sophisticated and can be used at scale. And then, of course, the sort of bold intersection of the Rockefellers and hemp would be the Rockefeller laws in New York and, you know, confronting the war on drugs. And so being a farm in 2020 that, you know, has this ownership and is dealing with cannabis that is extremely controversial and still to this moment is putting people, specifically people of color, behind bars. That has been something that has really propelled us to focus on the justice and social side of the hemp plant. And I think, yeah, speaking of progressive has been what really evolved our company quickly because there's something very confrontational about being in New York, growing hemp at large scale, given the historical and political context of this crop and how convoluted that really is. Can you speak to some of the challenges that you still have selling hemp products and and growing hemp in 2020? Yeah, for one, 
the regulatory side of hemp is constantly shifting. And second to that, I would say the crop is pretty problematic because it was illegal for so long. The actual genetics are not advanced when we compare it to other crops. So while other crops in the past 50 years really accelerated and became very localized to their environment and very consistent and stable, cannabis sort of did the opposite. And that's because so much of our seed banks were taken uh, from us during prohibition. And along with that, while hemp was being, or cannabis was being bred while it was illegal, it was really being bred for the illicit market. And so what that meant was high, high THC and physical attributes that made drug deals swift, like having certain colors on the buds, etc. And it sort of Frankensteined the crop because it was not being bred for traditional attributes. It was being bred for attributes that were attractive to an illicit market. And so right now we're really dealing with the relative humidity of New York and dealing with the pests of New York and how they interact with this plant that needs to be evolved, that needs to be bred for these new environments that need the crop to be stable in order to sort of fight the environmental factors at hand. Melanie, what is it like dealing with such large, huge-scale ideas and then day-to-day, like, micromanaging things? Like, how Mm. do you balance such, you know, a huge spectrum? Like, everything you're working on, Mm. it's like, you have a house of cards at hand, and it's so exciting But like, yeah, day to day, you're like breathing in fresh air in a field. So what is that like? Well, I balance is definitely a tricky word in this context, because there's a lot of push and pull. And that is why I was so attracted to your podcast, Humans and Computers, because I have a, a lot of challenges, you know, operating Um, in the world of nature, and then coming up against my computer. And I often feel this frustration and kind of tension between those two worlds and how to make them kind of fit together in a way that feels like harmony uh, is is not always an easy act. But I think when I get too kind of spun out, you know, within all of that, it is really when I just walk outside and it's that simple. Like I just, you know, I just sort of stop and pause because, yeah, our mission is so important that it requires a certain focus that sometimes the convenience of the computer and the ability to multitask can take away from. I'm interested to know, so you have this brand, Our Treaty, and that is a CBD brand. Will you talk about that for a second? And then mm-hmm. my follow-up question would be, hemp has so many kind of commercial potential you know, properties. Are there other brands that you're hoping to release 
to sell other parts mm-hmm. of hemp, like maybe the fiber aspect of it or something like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Treaty launched actually pretty much a year ago, and we spent over a year working on the formulas. We wanted to make sure that the product really embodied our farm and really was kind of like this this extension of our practices and our landscape. And so the product is bioregional by design, meaning we only used ingredients in the product that can grow naturally or can be cultivated in the Hudson Valley. And So we wanted the medicine to speak to our locale, and we also wanted to highlight that medicine can be in your backyard and is in your backyard if you pay attention. And so the brand was really built around that idea. And along with that, we used the body of research that exists around CBD to create efficacy in the products. So we really focused on how CBD synergizes with aromatic compounds. So each product, Calm, Focus, Balance, and Recover, was built with an aromatic profile that thrives with CBD to achieve that effect. And as far as continuing to potentiate hemp, we are really, really interested in pushing forward for fabric and paper. That being said, there's a real bottleneck in processing to get there because moving the plant around to another processing plant would really kind of cancel out the positive like footprint that hemp is capable of. And then the other sort of complication is that fiber hemp and medicinal hemp cannot be grown on the same farm because they'll cross-pollinate. So the other sort of tricky thing to factor in is placing a farm, you know, far away from other CBD farms so that there's no cross-pollination and each crop can complete its life cycle and be useful for what you need it for. So right now, as far as entering these other markets, we are using the byproduct of our extraction to make cigarette papers at the Incrum paper mill. So we are really focused right now on how can we use this whole plant and not waste it. We use the stalks for compost and mulch and animal bedding on our farm. And we also kind of embark on smaller research and development projects on how we can use the stocks because they're qu- it's quite substantial and they are quite fibrous. They're not as fibrous as a fiber hemp plant would be, but there sure is a lot of material because we're really just focused in our extraction on the flower. So Right now, we're really trying to close that loop and redirect any waste that is coming from our plants. Got it. And so this is something that I guess I didn't understand about hemp. I was under the impression that when growing a CBD product, the flower wasn't really psychoactive or, Mm. um, you know, didn't have a lot of THC content. 
So I, I, I'm actually kind of surprised to learn that there, I always knew that there was a type of hemp that was made for fiber and wasn't mm-hmm. the kind of like psychoactive one. Will you speak a little bit about the differences there? Because I genu- genuinely don't yeah. know the difference really. And I'm also interested to know if you are growing these flowers on the farm and extracting CBD from them, is there like a rigorous process to dispose of them currently that's mandated by the government? Mm. Yes. Really good questions. So within like the prohibition of hemp and all of that, the plant became really confusing to people. And so to clarify, cannabis can be thought of as like the overarching term. And then we have hemp and then quote unquote marijuana, which is really just a legal distinction and term that actually has a lot of racial implications as well. But essentially hemp and marijuana have really one difference and that's a difference in THC. So what we grow on our farm has below 0.3% THC, but looks like a marijuana plant has all the same physical characteristics, and you would only know the difference by getting a test result. So the other type of hemp would be thought of as fiber hemp or industrial hemp and would not have the flowers or the buds that our plants have and would be planted much differently too. Uh, Fiber hemp is planted very close together so that growth is encouraged to go straight upward. So you have those really long stalks that contain the fiber then. And so a different way to sort of think about the plant is medicinal hemp or cannabis, and then industrial hemp. And the medicinal would include, you know, potentially THC, CBD, and all the other cannabinoids that are possible. And then the industrial fiber hemp would be what would be used for fabric or paper, et cetera. And do you find it frustrating that you have to, in order to grow the the paper and the fiber hemp, do you find do you personally find it frustrating that they have to be two separate farms? Is that a governmental mandate that is frustrating or is that does that make sense? So that has to do really with the fact that the plants could would cross pollinate. And ultimately, if you had a fiber crop too close to a medicinal crop, your medicinal crop would end up with a lot of seeds on it. That's because medicinal plants are all female plants and they can easily, you know, cross pollinate with a fiber crop. And then both crops are kind of useless. I think the frustrating part there is that if we progress, our breeding and sophistication around hemp plants, we could get a hemp plant that could be viable for both fiber and for medicinal uses. So would have a really, really strong stock, would be a really tall plant, but would still contain these um, amazing buds where the medicinal components live. And so getting a plant that uh, can really do all things is like the cornucopia of hemp that that's like that's like the end goal of this plant and i think in years down the line we'll probably get there right that's kind of harking back to what you were saying before about how there has not been any growth in terms of like innovative breeding of the plant due to the prohibition of it 
And, you know, that would be the golden goose, right? To be able to like make all of these different income streams from the same plant. Exactly. Uh Exactly. And really have zero waste. Mm -hmm. Right. Zero waste. Yeah. I've read so much about how hemp is like, it has all of this potential in terms of like producing so many different things and also doing it at this lowered, you know, waste footprint. And you did kind of touch on before about how there are these kind of like positive footprint aspects to producing fiber and, and paper with hemp. Will you speak a little bit to how, what those positive footprints are? I mean, I understand there's probably some level of carbon footprint that mm. is better, but the, I think from what I understand, water usage in making fiber and paper traditionally is quite a lot higher than compared to hemp. Although maybe I'm wrong about that. Yeah, water usage as well as like bleaching agents. And then I think also the potential of growing hemp regeneratively and in so many different locations is also increased. And because hemp is such an incredible companion plant, it is so incredible in terms of warding off insects and pests. And It's really, really good for the soil. It sort of acts like a tree in the soil. And yet its life cycle is 90 days. And so there's less processing needed, um, post-processing needed, because it is such a strong fiber. I think the strongest fiber potentially in the world. So it's a much, the sort of supply chain between the plant in the ground and turning it into uh, paper or, or textiles, et cetera, is lessened. And the biggest hurdle right now is having the actual physical infrastructure in regional locations to do that. Got it. I see. I see. You touched on before that hemp is such a great companion plant. And I, I think what you're talking about is in regenerative agriculture, you know, one of the core tenants of it is to be not using the same land for the same plant year over year over year, which is traditionally how corn has been farmed in the middle of America and and Mm -hmm. so on and so forth. And then you you mentioned that hemp kind of acts like a tree. And what I assume you're meaning by that is that it has really deep roots for a plant of 90 days and that, you know, it can pull a lot of carbon into the soil and it can increase like soil retention and soil, um, you know, the ability for soil to hold together. Whereas I don't know if anyone, if you've read this book, the Dan Barber book, I think it's the, what is it? The third plate or something like that. And he goes into great detail about soil health and, um, you know, the danger well, of monocropping. Like, um, biodiversity. So like, I think mm-hmm. is that, I think that companion plant is like a really cute way of maybe touching upon that. Well, Mm -hmm. my question was going to be, what is it a great companion plant to? You know, because it it doesn't sound to me like it has the legume properties of pulling nitrogen out of the out of the air and enriching it into the soil. So, what do you see the best kind of like cycle crops that go along with hemp as being? Yeah. So on our farm. As I mentioned, we focus on grain and feed. And exactly what you said, Rachel, like more than companion plants, hemp really invites biodiversity. And that's a really key tenant of what we do on our farm and of regenerative agriculture. Biodiversity of botanical life, of insects, 
of all things. And ultimately, we're focusing on building soil and ensuring that the soil can recycle nutrients, capture and hold water, and ultimately minimize the farm's dependence on any outside inputs. And so companion plants for us are really in the arena of grains and feeds. So that is clover, wheat, rye, buckwheat. We do grow a corn and soy on our farm, and we're trying to you know, slowly phase out soy production. But in our case, hemp is a great companion to the crops that we already grow. And that being said, it is a needy plant. Like people kind of think that hemp like grows like a weed, but it really does need, you know, it is a heavy nitrogen pulling plant. So it does really good with legumes and legumes are a natural part of our rotation. And beyond that, I should mention that our farm operates on a seven-year crop rotation. So all of the crop planning is seven years ahead of itself. And within that, our rotations are designed to fix all of the, all of the needed components of our soil, phosphorus, nitrogen, etc. Understood. Very good. Well, I'm interested to know a little more about the treaty product and because I, I don't know... I'm sure our listeners are pretty familiar with CBD at this point, but Rachel right now is having really bad period cramps. And one of the things that has- I was just going to chime in and be like, I need some (laughs) CBD right now. (laughs) I mean, it's one of the things that's worked most effectively for you, Ray, from what I understand. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about what has been surprising to you in rolling out this CBD product Mm -hmm. in terms of the properties that you felt yourself or that people Mm -hmm. have told you. Yeah, I think that the most compelling properties have been the anti-inflammation pain relief. And that's because the alternatives can be so bleak, you know, and so and when I say that, I mean, like, oxycodone and, and things like that more extreme alternatives. So to have a natural compound that can really work for people in the realm of pain is incredible. And then likewise, anxiety and sleep are things that people deal with sometimes with pretty heavy pharmaceuticals, or even if they're not heavy, you know, synthetic options. And the anecdotes and stories that we receive are really powerful. And I believe as we continue to develop the plants and Also, as our like regulations and state progress so that we have a little bit more access to this plan. And I I say that because having a bit of THC in there really helps to activate the CBD. And that really is the whole plant or the full spectrum, which is a term that's really thrown out a lot in the world of CBD and cannabis products. But I don't think we've really achieved the full spectrum, at least on sort of a mass scale. So once people really gain access to this plant medicinally, I think it has the ability to really shift the pharmaceutical paradigm. And my one hope is that that, you know, stays in the hands of farmers and people and isn't just, you know, the leash isn't just given 
back to the pharmaceutical companies that have, you know, sort of abused people through medicine. Yeah, Melanie, what's the risk of like pharmaceutical companies realizing the power of the hemp industry? And like, Mm -hmm. because I like you were how you were describing like one of your goals is to like empower people to like maybe embrace their own farming practices or like yeah the whole vibe of choosing CBD is like you're self-educating and then you're empowered to like kind of take your health or whatever you want to problem solve and you're almost like avoiding the more western approach that's like Mm -hmm. traditionally farming anyways I like where that's headed and I just do you ever worry about you know, pharmaceutical companies all of a sudden getting wind of that and being like, okay, we just, we're going to start buying up parts of this industry or like getting involved. Or do you think it will always be like competition, like one or the other? No, it's such a risk. I mean, and the, the most problematic piece that I see is that the FDA likes isolation, you know, they like to isolate molecules and kind of then put a lock on that molecule to capitalize and kind of exploit it. And the whole beauty of the cannabis plant is that it's a holistic experience. And that includes the user kind of personalizing dose and understanding how and when to use the product. So the FDA has already approved a seizure drug called Epidiolex. And that is, you know, also incredible because, you know, CBD and its more acute medical use is really an antispasmodic and is amazing cure for seizures and epilepsy. But you know, I'm, yeah, I'm extremely, you know, wary of the situation we're in. And I guess what keeps me going within all of that, because what we're up against is a really big machine, is the fact that cannabis is a real movement and has been a real movement while it was illegal, while it was uh, totally in secrecy. And like, we're still part of that movement. You know, I think of it as more of a movement than an industry. And that's where I just believe in the plant as a way to democratize medicine, as a way for people to have medicine in their own hands. And there's a lot that has been rolled out. Um, For example, here in Massachusetts, where I am, people, you know, all of our friends and neighbors have 12 plants in their backyard. And that's legal. And it'd be really hard to roll that back. And yes, people are not the best growers yet of this plant, but that doesn't mean that we can't be. And so I don't know, I guess that was sort of a confusing answer. But that's just to say that yes, you know, the FDA um, and big pharmaceutical companies are on this, they're synthesizing, you know, CBD, they're synthesizing other cannabinoids in labs and growing them on petri dishes. But that's not the medicine that we're talking about. That doesn't include the regenerative practices that extend to our environment and then extend to people. And I believe in this movement. And I know that there's such a big growing community of people who also believe in this and need this, that it's not going to go away. It's, it can't be taken from us. 
And that I believe to be true. I love that movement is our like minds theme right now. So I'm like oh, good. super into the idea of like how things catch fire and like it is like that power to the people kind of vibe. And I guess what's really inspiring about what you said is like the people that know and care and that are already part of this community and in that flow, like they're not going to, you know, go for like the pharmaceutical side of things. So, you know, I, I feel really hopeful that this movement can sustain itself. Are there any, like, I always have this interest in history repeating itself. Do you have any, like, you know, are you like an old soul that's like, you know, this is like you want to like revolutionize things or like, do you ever think of like your legacy as a leader in this movement or like mm -hmm. how you would like to see history change based on the past or like, do you have any heroes in your work? Yeah. Well, this is going to sound so corny, but uh, my dad is my biggest hero in this work. And that is not corny. My yeah. dad's my hero. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was my first experience of the plant he grew cannabis throughout my childhood. And at that point, it was, it was super stigmatized. And I went to a small private school where I think I, I probably felt pretty ashamed by the fact that there was, you know, cannabis hanging often in our closets. And that being said, my dad had a lettuce farm growing up and is now legally growing cannabis. He's the first outdoor grower of medicinal cannabis in Massachusetts. And so that is like what has pushed me forward. But also I never set out to like be like him. It was really just an accident that we all sort of ended up doing the same thing. And so I do believe that I inherited this passion for the plant. And then I also feel like I tapped into the stamina of the movement that had been really courageously building while the plant was illegal in the States. And so my entrance to the industry was Northern California. And that's sort of the heart and soul of the cannabis movement. That's where the majority of cannabis that was being um, sold in the US was being produced, I think around 70%. And so I'm also really inspired by these off-grid communities that risk their lives and freedom for the plant. And so when we talk about, you know, humans and computers, thinking back on that time in my life is, was my pause from technology. Um, I lived completely off-grid with generators, solar panels, and my goal each day was just growing and ultimately distributing cannabis. And so that was my intro to the industry. And it was totally void of screens or of service or of anything societal that I had known before or was conditioned to know. And I think that's also why this work holds a special place in my heart is that my discovery of it was totally natural and accidental, but also feels sort of like fate. <laughs> Amazing. That's yeah. that's awesome. I wanted to ask of the our treaty uh, sorry the treaty types or the variants that you have which is your favorite? Mm, the calm is my favorite. The calm and, is your favorite. And the focus is my favorite, but 
the calm is my favorite because it really, it really works. I mean, it really feels like I've taken a true relaxant and yet I don't feel stoned or like, like there's no sort of disability associated with the calmness. I just feel in tune with feeling like at peace. And so I love that formula. I love focus because I think it inherited some powers due to the ginseng kind of cannabis combination, which actually is an ancient Chinese combination of herbs that was said thousands of years ago to invoke clairvoyance, which maybe was a way of saying help help you to focus. And so I think that formula is really special. And the ginseng we source from the Appalachia. So it's American grown organic ginseng, which is some of the most valuable ginseng in the world. So I just think that combination of plants like is incredible. And I'm so excited for like the future of the combination of those plants, you know, and how we extract both of them in the levels of all the compounds that can exist in those two plants synergizing together. I'm, yeah, I'm really excited. I'm someone who was on, um, you know, ADD medication throughout college and really struggled with being on such heavy pharmaceuticals and knew that I didn't want to live my life like that. So creating a valid alternative that we can continue to develop is like so exciting for me personally. I will say during quarantine, I was feeling as I'm sure many people were just a little disjointed. Like I felt so lucky to be able to work from home and like be around all my stuff. But I also felt like really kind of trapped. And then all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. I noticed myself like tinkering in the kitchen and then wanting to sit on my stoop or it was I don't know, I didn't know day from night for a while. And I remembered, oh, I have some of that our treaty focus. And like, I think in my regular life, I hadn't opened it because I was like, oh, I don't know the effects of this on my personal chemistry yet. So I don't want to like, you know, jeopardize my work day. And then it ended up saving my life during it was like end of April, May. And it really was this kind of like, gentle on my system, just I felt Real, I, I mean, focused, um, but really centered. And I was, yeah, I was so appreciative of your product. And I think it's so interesting because I was hesitant about it. And then I was so, it does, it's like a nice gateway into like, oh, this is all natural. Like, what else could I be doing that isn't so harsh on my system? And I think you're doing such a good job at formulating and like, you know, working with the right partners. And I just, I commend all that you're doing. And it's, it's almost like our treaty is like a little best kept secret right now. So I hope to just see more and more people like, figure out things that can work for them. Yeah, without like going down the route of like, harsh medications and like, yes, I think there's, I mean, we're living in an epidemic, like, I hope that the more natural treatments there is a stigma that it's like, oh, that's like a lefty, hippy-dippy solution. Like a lot of middle America, like it is in an op- opioid like crisis and epidemic. And I think, I wonder what it would take for like the rest of the world to catch on. I mean, the same as mm-hmm. with food and healthy eating and like more, um, I don't know, I feel like more natural practices all around are 
associated with like prestige or like it's like an elitist thing. How do we make that movement more accessible? I mean, Mm -hmm. I wonder if we'd ever like start in schools just talking. I bet it's all just like conversations and asking questions and totally depends on each household in America. Absolutely. Well, so the interesting thing is we see a lot of our repeat customers coming from middle America. So that's, that's kind of been like a fun thing to watch. Oh, that's uh, amazing. I ne- see. I never would have guessed. I'm like right. playing yeah. that stigma. Yeah. Yeah. It's like these people somehow did discover us. They were sort of outliers who were like looking, you know, for a solution that was different from what was just so immediately around them. And then Yeah, accessibility and education and also personalizing that people want to hear not just from reading on their computer, but they want to hear from figures of authorities like doctors what this can do for them and how to use it. And so the more access to uh, the medicine and the more access to people who can help educate, the better. And Hudson Hemp has a line that is... pretty basic in comparison to treaty. But that being said, we launched it because we wanted something that could be at an affordable price point and would be potent and high quality and all of those things, but where the price wouldn't, you know, be a deterrent. I mean, it's not going to be a price point that everyone can achieve, but still our goal is to make the products more and more accessible because, for people who really, really need the product, they also need it at a really high dose. And the majority of products that are on the market are just simply cost prohibitive if we're talking about 100 milligrams a day, which is really what some people need to manage their pain, to manage their anxiety, to manage their sleep cycles, all of these things. Will you tell our listeners where they can go to purchase and you know plug anything that you'd like for them to check out? Oh, sure. Yeah. So OurTreaty.com and HudsonHemp.com and then HudsonCarbon.com will be launching soon. Coming soon. (laughs) Coming soon. And you can sign up right now on the website for the launch. I just got a sneak peek at the website uh, a few days ago, and I think it will be so exciting for people to explore because the idea of carbon credits and carbon farming can feel just like it means nothing. And I think the website does an incredible job of really tying that to a farm and helping people really see on the ground what that means. 